Welcome, everyone, to the AI in Business podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is Hayden Kirkpatrick, Vice President of Innovation and Venture Capital at State Farm. Hayden began his position at State Farm in February 2021 and has spent much of the last decade in the insurance industry after beginning his career at T-Mobile. Hayden returns to the podcast to talk about Know Your Asset workflows and what they're coming to mean for an AI-enhanced insurance space. Throughout the episode, he clarifies what these changes mean for the three- to five-year short-term of the industry and offers thoughts on what things may look like after. Without further ado, here's our conversation. Hayden, thanks so much for being back on the program. Thank you, Matt. I'm excited to keep our conversation going. Absolutely. And talking today more about where we see the future of AI and insurance going, I know it's something we had talked about before we had gotten the microphones onto the program is that something we've noticed, at least in a lot of workflows for the insurance space, is that in terms of how of, of using AI to stay compliant in the claims and underwriting process, we're seeing that a lot of insurance companies are putting a lot of focus where customers first tut their service funnels. And in light of that, many insurance firms are finding that front door of the service funnel is the best way to verify customer information to the point of streamlining workflows when it comes to cybersecurity, when it comes to minimizing risk and knowing everything about the customer that you can. This bears a slight resemblance to what we see in know your customer functions for the larger financial services space. Of course, that's much more regulated. And when I brought this up to you before, when we were planning our discussions for these calls, you mentioned that it wasn't so much about knowing the customer in insurance as knowing the asset. And that's what that part of the process is all about. Tell us a bit what that looks like in terms of developing systems and service funnels in insurance for those ends. Sure. Happy to. So remember in the last episode, we talked about our belief of customer data ownership and how we would want to think about pricing customers dynamically based off of the types of information and depth of data they give us. A lot of that has to do with behavioral characteristics. How bad of a driver is Matt really? We can get some data from public records. Having an in-dash is even better. But ultimately, your ability to share your behavioral data or activity data with us is kind of icing on the cake. And we like to price people and then give them discounts based on that behavioral data. What is absolutely not optional, mandatory, is knowing what we're insuring. So you can say, I'll give you my driving data and my driving behaviors, and we could take that or not, but you can't not tell us what car you're driving <laughs> because that's where right, the loss right. is, right? So we really see the future of some of these technologies leaning more towards asset verification. In a vehicle, for the most part, this is fine and easy to do. You give us your VIN or we pull it from public records and we can get all the way down almost to the trim or build sheet level based off of that then that data floats around and is available through third-party aggregators or directly from OEMs themselves in a homeowner space totally different level of sophistication so i have been fortunate enough not to lose my home i hope you have not had a homeowner's claim that can be very painful in an event that you do have a homeowner's loss justifying what was in the home that needs to be replaced can be an agonizing process 
customers generally know, but it's not like they can validate or have it, you know, readily available at the touch of their fingers. All that said, that data too is available. Your Samsung appliances and TVs have numbers. They're serialized. They have asset values. Samsung tracks these. If we could partner with Samsung and pull that data down based on one login, we just got a lot smarter. And we can dynamically price your homeowner's insurance based on the appreciation or depreciation of those values. So the more we can get in terms of data surrounding the assets, what exactly it is we're protecting, what the replacement value of those assets would be, whether it's the home, the four walls, the roof, and the floor, or anything inside of it, the more precise we can get with offering pricing solutions to customers, and the faster we can get customers back into a home or back on the road once a claim actually does happen. Absolutely. And just even putting kind of a bit of a spectrum on the challenges as you were citing, you know, you only have one car company. Every car comes with a VIN code. Through that, it's a very clear silo of all the information you need, and it's just one partnership. When we get into the home, you'll need a partnership with Google. You'll need a partnership with Samsung. You'll need a partnership possibly with Sonicare if they take data on my electric toothbrush and how often I, I use that. Getting into the body, getting into life insurance, we, we were touching on this a little bit in the last episode of you'll need partnerships, maybe, maybe a slightly smaller group, but you'll definitely need a partnership with Apple for the Apple Watch in terms of the biometric data that it's taking. Who knows what tech companies are going to be involved in that space. That's a much more undeveloped space than a lot of the technology we're seeing in the home. But even enjoying that in, in that comparison, you know, is it necessarily all about partnerships in terms of maximizing how insurers are gathering that data or how much can they proverbially, forgive the expression, squeeze out of the customer relationship or perhaps more diplomatically, how much can they build trust in the customer relationship for customers to be more forthcoming with with private data? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Let me answer the availability of it first, and then I'll try and work back into how you build build trust. Some data sets are just behavioral and attitudinal are going to be based on the way you live your life. Those almost always need to be done via partnership. We're not going to establish a wearables company, right? Or a dieting app or any other type of data source that'll allow us to get really smart and sophisticated. Most of the data around your medical treatments is available. That's all kind of aggregated. That's a partnership approach. So the way your lifestyle and or I guess actuarial risk model, if I want to be nerdy, is evolving over time will almost always have to be delivered to an insurer through data-initiated partnerships. There are some other things that we think are interesting, genomic sequencing, cancer tracing, some of those longer tail things that come more from the nature side than the nurture side of your life. We could probably pull once, get in, and then in combination with behavioral or nurture data streams, just tune and update. But generally speaking, insurers not going to be a primary data provider on a lot of these things. We have primary data sets or those we stitch together on environmental risk, specific usually to properties. So we know where geographies are more at risk of climate change and disasters, flooding, fires, than most data sets. And we hold those things internally because it's a combination of what happened in the space, the weather or the climate, and the loss data, which we own, 
merging that together gives us those trends. And we're working on a lot of really sophisticated, in some instance, quantum computing-based solutions to help us forecast and predict on the long tail extended risk to property based off of climate modeling. But for life insurance and other things that are just not that dynamic and or that risky on the long tail, we view it, we will not have a lot of our own data organically owned and developed along those those vectors. Does that answer your question, Matt? Yes, yes. I, I, no, no. And it, just to just to kind of get an idea of of especially, you know, per if it's a automobile or it's a home or it's life insurance, what do the partnership landscape look like versus the data that you might need from customers? But also something that we haven't quite touched at yet, just in terms of what this means for the in- insurance industry. And I know this is a relatively buried headline, but there are also in terms of collecting all this data, especially for home ownership, as I understand it, is there's a lot of upsell opportunities as you're collecting the data. You know, the customer might not know what areas carry more risk or you know you might find out about potential damage or climate risk to the home before they even realize it and that creates upsell opportunities i take it that those just given how far we're gathering tech from cars and homes that might be further along in terms of its realization in the industry than it is say for health insurance in our, in our own biome right now because we're still gaining the technology that's really going to get a direct read on on human biological systems where are we in terms of automotive and home ownership in terms of those predictive capabilities and those upsell opportunities with customers yeah it's a great question matt and it's it's a bit ironic because some of the data sets that are well connected like your wearables and like your fitness data are correlate to longer tail risks where prevention right. is let's say not as pointed right by combination where there are preventative measures available and things like home ownership the data streams are maybe not as mature as they could be but you're on the right track within what i can disclose today we do believe that the insurer of the future will be a platform level insurer that integrates with and interacts with the asset and or person that is being protected and is very dynamic in the way we think about um, engaging with that that asset we are actively moving from a you know price and repair approach to a predict and prevent approach. You may have seen the announcement of our deal with ADT last year that included a significant investment, equity investment in that company, but also a fairly significant $300 million opportunity fund specifically to stand up these kind of capabilities. Our belief is that once we get the data, we can incept offers, services, products that help prevent losses in the first place. I spent most of my time on the Pacific Rim. Uh, I recently moved to the Midwest and I have my first proper home, like a house on a plot of land. And I still, to this day, have been told that I need to maintain this thing every six months (laughs) that I haven't touched for two and a half years. I mean, there's so much risk kicking around my house because I just had no bloody idea what I'm supposed to do to upkeep my home. All of this should be delivered to the palm of my hand. I should get a notification that says, from State Farm, ideally, that says, hey, did you know you need to do this, this, and this to protect your home because we have all that data? And then bang, 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 get connected to a third-party service provider scheduled right through the palm of my hand to come out and actually deliver that. That certainly has monetization opportunities. State Farm is a mutual, so we are, for all intents and purposes, a nonprofit. Our view of this is that we can take those revenue opportunities and just hand them back to customers in the, in the form of lower rates. 
but ultimately it's about keeping people safer and helping predict them from the risk of everyday life. We can do that. That is very much in the near-term future. We are working on that now. And Matt, once this thing gets out the door, I'll come back and happily talk to you about how it's going. On that note, this is an excellent segue right now, because I know we we focused especially a lot of the second episode around talking about Know Your Asset, and this is probably the, the time to explain now. We see this technology a little bit more into the future, five years plus, in terms of really being able to harness this across the board in the industry. In terms of your last answer, this is a little bit closer. We have even barely, in our last two episodes, touched on large language models and the likely impact that we're going to see from those. But I'm wondering if we can kind of level out that future in our next answer. Just give an idea of, especially with this new technology and large language models, that we're going to see some changes that will need about three to five years to settle. And we also know what things are going to look like five years and beyond. Tell me a little bit about what shapes those futures for you and how you see them and what might be some lesser known large language model use cases that people might not realize yet because they don't understand how transformative a technology this will be for the insurance space. Yeah. You know, for us, we were experimenting with generative AI beginning early last year. uh, And even we were surprised by GPT-4 and how much of a leapfrog it was in capability. I think everybody was, and that's why it sparked such a, a huge frenzy. And of course, every day or week now, you see some news article around the depth to which that technology can get, right? If you're exploring these solutions inside of an enterprise like an insurer, you're probably learning pretty quickly that there is a limit to what could be done with large language models without custom code, custom data training, and or a bunch of other capabilities that are more than just ripping and replacing a tool off the shelf, right? At the very minimum right now, large language models, including ChatGBT, is pretty good at explaining insurance. Insurance is a complicated product. It comes with a high cognitive load. The insurance industry has not necessarily been the best at bridging the gap between how consumers talk and think and how insurance terms are packaged. This is why agents are so powerful for our business. They just help sort of explain, make sure the customer is fully covered. You can get answers on what is personal property versus liability versus comp and collision. You know, what is an umbrella policy? You can get those right now, more or less from a chat GPT style solution. So it'll help explain the industry to customers that care enough to actually go and engage in it. Things get a little bit more hairy when you're talking about state farms view of those categories, how they think about protecting yourself holistically across those categories, how we write underwriting rules that might need to be explained to a consumer at an underwriting decision. That's where you're going to need customized code. And that is probably a few years out. Things get really a lot more sophisticated once you start getting down to the level personalized, individualized understanding. So Matt wants to know why did Matt's rate change? And you want that to be an interactive conversation. You would need not just necessarily customized data sets from your book of business, as well as you know a customized instance of the tool. You're also going to need customized model development and some access to your pricing and underwriting model to actually inform that. So Like with a lot of large language models, the more personalized you want the experience to be, the more work you have to do to get it to that level, and the more of your internal company assets you have to feed it to inform 
that level of sophistication. I think a lot of this stuff is coming over the course of the next three to five years, maybe six, maybe seven, depending on the insurer. And I think consumers will benefit in their knowledge and understanding of the insurance industry off of it. Uh, but there'll be a lot of heavy lifting between here and there. And that's just specific to insurance as a business. Pricing, right. underwriting, coverages, explaining it, that meat alone is going to take some time to get to a place where generative AI can serve some of those use cases. Right. And even where we're seeing, and I, I, I've heard about this in terms of the automobile industry and manufacturers. I mean, you, you were talking in your last example of having a chatbot explain to me why my prices went up. That almost presupposes I'm not looking for that in my bill anymore. We have a completely different kind of relationship. I know to go to the chatbot for that. I'm not going to the agent. That's probably a couple of years of being conditioned into that, that we need to build in to that three to five year period that that you were citing. And I mean, that still could change. I could still be more dependent on the bill or the agent in, in terms of how that susses out. So I think the audience at home gets a little bit better reading of what changes and why are we putting in the three to five year category and what changes we're seeing as inevitable five plus years. We're going to need to build up our game in terms of knowing the asset, collecting all the data we can. That know your asset functionality is going to be built on capabilities that we know are coming, but we don't know exactly exactly what they'll look like. That'll be the three to five year changes. And I think just everything you were explaining, do you think, you mentioned transparency first, do you think transparency is going to be the principal front door for that? Only because, you know, as the customer's trusting, then they'll be more forthcoming with, you know, actual data about their asset. But do you see the transparency as the front door? Oh, sure. I mean, in our last episode, we talked about how customers really hate it when they can't understand why you priced them the way that you did. They hate it even more when you can't explain why the price changed. But to your last point, a lot of these things are dynamic engagement, right? So we can present to you, here's why your price changed on your auto insurance. There's controllables and there's uncontrollables. The way you drive, Matt, is controllable, right? Your garaging address and the sort of portfolio of risk in which you reside or live, probably not controllable. You're not going to move. It's highly unlikely you're going to move because of your auto insurance rate. But even if we showed you this on your bill, you might have questions. Well, I didn't have an accident. Why did my garaging address become more expensive? And then an AI could sort of lay out, well, here's how this is calculated. Here's how State Farm thinks about this. Here are some of the things that we noticed in the surrounding area that are risky. You know, there's a dialogue that has to happen back and forth that the bill couldn't do. Depending on the size of the market, your agent can serve some of those needs. But agents really manage households and overall risk portfolios and profiles. So drilling into specific underwriting decisions or pricing decisions, that's not something that agents should spend their time doing, right? They should be spending their right. time in relationships and making sure your whole household and your whole self is protected, as opposed to running around trying to understand why a half point of pricing differential came from this hexagon square. But an AI could do that and present it to customers in a way that is informative. So we really see those engagement models flowing from one front end to another as the customer actually seeks answers to their satisfaction. And that's where we think generative AI plugs into some of these other customer experience layers to really round out that overall view and transparency that we want customers to have. Yeah. And even in, in the transparency conversation, it sounds like that's the big gap to know the difference between these short term technology changes and these longer term technology changes. We have to find out where the customer relationship is going to land. And it sounds like from your last few answers, it's getting data on where customers want to get that bad news. 
Where do they want to get it? Do they want to get it from the bill? Do they want to get it from the chatbot? Do they want to get it from the agent? And all those questions are open if I have that right. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, bad news or good news, right? Claims decisions can be good news. And the way you engage with an adjudication process, a chatbot and a generative, I would say generative AI to explain what we need and why we need it and those Mm -hmm. questions at a certain level. And then the customer can sort of feed in the responses to those questions, which could then further augment our adjudication model. So it is a two-way street, right? I mean, a lot of this stuff should be developed and designed to solve the customer needs day, but also to learn from the way the customers engage in those environments. Absolutely. And we, as we learn more about customers, we'll have a better idea in terms of that three to five year, what that's going to look like. And as we make the transition into longer term realities that we know are coming, like knowing your asset, very, very interesting stuff. Hayden, thank you so much for being with us these last few episodes. It's been really enlightening. Thank you, Matt. The pleasure has been mine. And I look forward to coming back after we know our assets and talking a little bit more about how we've helped to reinvent insurance for the modern age. It's been a pleasure. If you enjoyed today's program with Hayden, don't forget to check out our first episode. That's from December 10th, 2023, entitled Looking at Insurance Challenges from a Telecom Perspective. On behalf of Daniel Fagella, our CEO and head of research here at Emerge, as well as the entire organization, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.